Welcome to Grades Don't Matter, a show about how group work, sacrifice, and case studies showed us that asking better questions matters in business and in life. I'm your host, Doug Tolley. Today, we're excited to have Scott Morris here as our guest. Scott, how are you doing? Doing great, Doug. Thanks. Fantastic. So we want to get into some things about your background, but first of all, uh, you're the Global Client Director for uh, Gartner, and your client is Kaiser Permanente. Is that right? That is correct. And you've been with Gartner about six years, uh, so that takes you all the way through the whole MBA experience. You worked at Gartner before uh, your MBA and, and, and now, uh, obviously, afterward as well. Before, during, and after, although the during is, uh, boy, it's hard to remember anything that happened in those two years. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a blur for all of us, uh, that's for sure. And, you know, full disclosure for everybody listening, and, and most of you probably know both of us, uh, but Scott and I have a special relationship, be not just friends, but roommates throughout uh, India and Dubai and, uh, and Jordan, which uh, was an amazing experience, and I'm glad I got to share that with you, Scott, so... Me as well. And don't forget Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. All right. So um, you, where did you grow up, Scott? I know you're a big Chicago Cubs fan. You live in California, Northern Cal now. Kind of give That's us right. the arc of all of that. How did you become a Cubs fan? How did you land in California? Did you grow up in California? So I, I did grow up uh, since I was about eight years old. Uh, I grew up in California, but I was born in Logan, Utah. Well, my father was completing his uh, PhD at Utah State in plant taxonomy, and I think you and I chatted about that. That you uh, flew in some of those circles that he knew some some of the people that I think you knew at University of Utah. If yeah, I'm remembering Bob, Bob Vickery, the uh, world's foremost leader uh, and expert on the monkey flower, was somebody that your dad knew. It seems seems that I remember. So, yeah. So my my dad was born and raised in Chicago, and see, he grew up there and. Uh, fell in love, of course, with everything Chicago. And I, I grew up thinking Chicago was the center of the universe based on the way he talked about it and how often he bragged about it. Uh, and it's actually pretty pretty true. It's a pretty cool place, although this week, I think they've got that Arctic something going on, and it's like negative 23 on the front page of this Wall Street Journal today there in Chicago. But It's uh, the polar vortex. Uh, thank when they, you. When they name it that, you know it's something serious, polar vortex. Yes, uh, caught in the vortex. But he, yeah, he certainly told us about the winners and how, <clears throat> excuse me, how brutal they were. But uh, mostly good stuff. And he, he ended up going to college in Wisconsin. And then for some reason, he went out west. And that's where he actually ran into a friend. Uh, and he was raised Jewish, my father. And oh. ran into a friend at Colorado College where he finished up his his undergraduate degree, and he uh, introduced him to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Wow. And he uh, decided to convert. And from there, he went to BYU to get his master's in botany or genetics, something related to that. And that's where he met my mother, who was born and raised in Star Valley, Wyoming. Wow. You know, many generations of you know, Latter-day Saints in, in, in her uh, lineage. So... That's where the, the Jewish met the Latter-day Saint, and here I am. So I'm a mix, mixture of all that. How about that? So I'm interested, and, and this wasn't necessarily where we were going to head, but so fascinating, Scott. Your, your uh, father uh, was a Jew uh, or, or was of the Jewish uh, faith until uh, how old then? How old was he when he converted? Well, he, yeah, he was 22. We actually just had this conversation 
it's pretty interesting how little I knew about my dad's growing up. And as we get older now together, we we're talking a lot more about those things, which is really fascinating. But yeah, he, you know, their family wasn't religious. You know, they were definitely secular Jews. Yep. But certainly culturally uh, very Jewish. Um, but they did celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah and all those all those things growing up. But yeah, he wasn't real. They weren't raised as a, a family of faith necessarily. But certainly uh, by by that Jewish tradition. Well. I'm sure that at another time it'd be fun to to hear some of his perspective um, on uh, on so much of the uh, LDS sort of millennial prophecies and the restoration of things. Uh, much of that centers on Israel, centers on on the the Jewish people, um, and uh, and of course the Book of Mormon, as we know, says it's to Jew and Gentile. Anyway, I, I'm. I'm personally fascinated with all of that. In fact, uh, I may have never told you this, but I took uh, six uh, semesters of conversational Hebrew at the wow. University of Utah as part of my undergraduate work. So I, I'm I'm kind of intimately, uh, or at least I felt connected with with uh, with that part of the world and especially Jews and uh, and Israel um, for for a few decades now. So anyway, that's really interesting to me. Well, one last thought on that yeah. um, about the Jew and Gentile. That that comment actually was, you know, this gentleman who met my father in college, who was a member of the church. He made the comment to my dad that my da- I, my dad had some, said something about him being a Gentile, and he came back right back and said, "Well, actually, we we can we consider you know you folks to be Gentiles, and we're we're the actual you know people of God." And that and that really tweaked tweaked his interest and. <laughs> So he started asking questions about, well, how, why do you consider yourselves the true, uh, you know, right. disciples of, of, of God? And so then anyway, he piqued his interest and studied and, and ended up joining the church. Wow, that is an amazing story. So you have you have parentage from different parts of the country. Of course, that now explains a little bit more about your uh, affiliation or your affinity for the Chicago Cubs. But you've got to tell us real quick, um, as a lifelong Cub fan... <laughs> Just take us back for a second, uh, Scott. What was that? What did that feel like after decades, after decades and decades of frustration, and and pain and suffering and Bartman and we can't even <laughs> go into all of it? And then suddenly that euphoria of actually finally breaking through. I mean, I've seen the video on the internet, Scott, but that was an amazing moment for you and your family. It certainly was, and my dear wife was there to experience it with me and she you know has absolutely no interest in sports whatsoever but she got so caught up in the story that she was more emotional and torn up than i was when uh, they actually you know got that last out so i i mean i what was stressful is that game you know the cubs looked like they had a pretty solid lead and then they had the you know indians came back to tie it up and i go oh here we go again my whole life has prepared me for this another moment of disappointment but uh, miraculously, uh, somehow they pulled it off. So yeah, that was incredible. That was incredible. It really was. Uh, are you a big sports fan in other things just besides uh, baseball? We know you love baseball. Oh yeah, I I grew up playing any sport I could you know get my my hands on. Um, but baseball was my passion. <clears throat> I played it at a pretty high level, and I you know left on my mission, think I'd come back and be a starting outfielder for my UC Davis Aggies, where I got my undergraduate degree and. Uh, things I, I didn't I didn't, didn't uh, end up you know pursuing that uh, as much my my perspective kind of changed on things and 
Uh, it wasn't, I guess, worth the sacrifice. And, and anyway, it, it was some, one of my biggest regrets of, as I look back in my life is not taking that farther than I, than I think I could have. But uh, I had fears, too, of, you know, not making the team and that sure. kind of thing. But it was, it was uh, I love baseball. Basketball became my next passion. And softball, of course. And, you know, football I never played, but I always fancied myself an NFL quarterback. So I had a pretty good arm as an outfielder. So, yeah, I love sports or they were everything. I mean, and and now that I've hit my MBA and and getting up in in the age now, I'm starting to realize that sports really aren't all that important in life, but yeah, you know, you take that as the game and yet all a lot of us played sports as kids. I remember many great lessons and learnings and uh things that I took out of my sports um experiences as a, as a young person. Um, I think it helps shape us a little bit. Uh, how did you end? Up, how did you end up uh, going to UC Davis? Was that was that just proximate to where you uh, where you were? Or yeah, so that goes back to our you know how did I go from Logan to California? So we my dad uh, took a position right after he got his or PhD at Colorado College as a teacher, you know, at, at Colorado College, and then decided he really didn't have a passion for teach, teaching, wanted to be a researcher. So he resigned that position. Then we moved to Austin for UT Austin and he did some postdoctoral research there and then we moved to Berkeley area uh, in Northern California and when I was eight I got baptized in Austin and then we moved uh, to Northern Cal and then a couple years after our Berkeley experience we moved up to Davis so when I was about 10 years old uh, we I, I was raised in Davis so that was the local uh, university and the one that I could afford and the one my parents wanted to pay for. So right. that's kind of where I ended up staying. Interesting. And as a researcher, what, what uh, did your dad research, if, if you know? Yeah, he was, he was into plant genetics. So he, he did a lot of work with – I remember going into lab with him and crushing samples of, of alfalfa uh, so that he could extract the, the chromosomes and, and you know, the genetic material. and right put it under a microscope and do all that cool stuff with it. Wow. So uh, you, I mean, you ultimately ended up in a field where analytics and data really matter. Um, do you think that working alongside your dad had something to do with, with you kind of going in that direction? I, I, you're, you're a data scientist, not necessarily a biologist like your father, but. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, don't, I would consider myself more of a, how would you say it? More of I'm truly a sales professional. I I'm in technology, so I I did fall in love with computers. You know, the in the late '80s with the dawn of the PC era, right? So I loved fooling around with computers, programming them. You know, making them do what I wanted to do because I was a I was an electrical engineering major, so we studied circuits and programming and stuff like that. But then I I, I kind of lost my interest in engineering. Uh, you know, the, it was extremely di- challenging, you know, the curriculum and it just didn't have, I didn't have that much draw for me. So I, I ended up trying to do a little startup of my own, uh, setting up PCs for, you know, professor that was at UC Davis and I was going to be the next Michael Dell, you know, building clone machines. And, uh, finally someone encouraged me just to go back and get your degree as only a couple classes away from finishing my degree at Davis. And, Eventually did that, but I went into a, a marketing internship in 1993 that really turned me on to my sales and marketing career. 
Huh. And there's someone, and, that, and it was, oddly enough, it was a Jewish gentleman that owned a franchise of ExecuTrain, which was right. a big training uh, provider back in the day, as in the dawn of the PC era. And he saw me, you know, so he says, oh, you went on a mi- church mission, so you, you have the ability to sell an intangible product. <laughs> and so he, he threw me in. You know, I wanted to be uh, the smartest guy in the block. I wanted to be the engineer and right. you know, be perceived as a real smart guy. But in the sales seemed to be the exact opposite of smart, you know, knowing, looking at you know, used car salesmen, the reputation that sales has as yep. a profession. Uh, but I had a smart, really smart engineer tell me one day that, hey, I've, you know, I've worked for engineering companies and the people that are really leaders within the company and, you know, make the most money and, you know, really understand the customer. They're the people on the front lines. Those are your, your sales force, your sales organization. And so I kind of triggered my interest, and it certainly turned out to be true in my career. I, I've really enjoyed, you know, mixing my technical knowledge with, you know, people skills, and it's certainly been a lucrative career. Wow, that is a great story. Now we bypassed a little detail right there. Your undergraduate degree, I though I think, is in French, and yeah. you served your LDS mission in France, if I remember correctly. That's correct. I, I was in the Belgian Brussels mission, but I spent all my time in France and Luxembourg. And when I came back from my mission, I immediately got married, uh, playing baseball. Then I wanted to do a double major, engineering and French. And so it just was a lot to take on. And I eventually I had to get out of school. So French was the easy, easiest path. It came pretty easy for me, and I really enjoyed uh, the French study. So I ended up getting a bachelor's in French, which... Très bien. You know, oui, oui. I actually don't speak French. That was all I could do right there. That, I'm, I'm kind of out. I do remember, though, and it's a fun little anecdote, um, you had a chance with our long layover in the Charles de Gaulle airport uh, to grab ginger, and I don't know if anybody else went, and take no. a quick blitz of the uh, of some of the French sites. Uh, tell that story just real quick. What did you yeah. see? How did you do it? And by the way, uh, my favorite part was sending a note over to the uh, FBE group that went, uh, the foreign business exchange group that went to Europe and say, what are you talking about? We saw your stuff too. Anyway, that was funny. So, I yeah, know that was that was great. Gary Rhodes, who actually accidentally called me yesterday, um, <laughs> and I picked up and we chatted and caught up a little bit. But uh, yeah, we uh, we had a long layover. It was a lot longer than I ever remember on the itinerary. But I had five plus hours in Paris, and you know I'm such a francophile and love Paris that I just had to go out and you know, see what was going on. And I wanted to drag anybody with me that wanted to go. And I know you wanted to go, but for some reason we, uh, we didn't connect and get out of there. I just, so Ginger was there and we, we ran out and we Ubered around town and first place we stopped off was at the, uh, Eiffel tower. And it was just spectacular. I'd never seen Paris so dead. It was, you know, six in the morning or seven in the morning on Sunday. And it was just peaceful. It was, it was actually quite amazing. But we, yeah, we went to several different sites and then we got back and had to get through customs or not customs, but, uh, you know, security again and made it back. That's awesome. Uh, what a trip. I, not that this is about that, but I, I was, I was, I knew you were going and, and then one of our classmates, uh, was a little bit lost in the airport. I waited to figure out where they were and then kind of turned around and said, Oh, I've kind of missed my window here. But uh. anyway, it's entirely my fault. Uh, Cause I knew where you were headed. Well, that's that's fantastic. What was your first real um, sales job then? Was it selling uh, training or what? What what else was it? What, your, yeah, what was your so recall? B- before the 
executing, which was really my first true professional job. I was working retail sales at Egghead Software. If oh, you remember Egghead, Egghead I do. Software. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that play that was like a dream. That was like the candy store for computer nerds with all of the game you're for a gamer, right? That had yep. all those different games on computers. And so at night we'd be able to check out whatever software package we wanted to, you know, load up on our machine and we had a shrink wrap machine in the back that we could uh, package it all like like it was new and uh, it was it was just a great experience. I ended up uh, getting canned from that job, but uh, I won't go into that story. But it was a good lesson, uh, a little humbling for sure. But then again, uh, you know, doors open when when one door shuts. And I I met this this Jewish gentleman that had just opened up an Executrain franchise in Sacramento, and he invited me to come in for. A, you know, uh, an interview. This is while I was at Egghead still, and yep. I found myself in need of a job a few months later. And I just had my first child in 1993, so a little stressful time. But um, started working for him, and worked. Ended up almost 12 years working for Guy, and he he really showed me the ropes. He took me across the street to Nordstrom and dressed me up so I didn't look, look like a slob. Just he really, you know, taught me all my fundamentals of selling, and it certainly. You know, look to him as one of my you know, greatest mentors. That's awesome, and and those those early those early computer jobs for a bunch of us. Uh, I built my own computers for a minute too, and uh, just to be able to get your hands on things and learn that was uh, that was good times for sure. I know you did a thing or two in between, but then ultimately landed at uh, at Gartner. How did how did you find Gartner, or how did Gartner find you? So from Executrain, I went to work for a company called ESI International. Uh, at the time, you know, largest provider of project management training in the world. They had in the '90s they had trained pretty much the entire IBM project management uh, you know workforce, and we had a partnership with George Washington University as our academic sponsor. So they were they were big in government contracting uh, curriculum. So teaching you how to navigate the federal acquisition regulations. So how do you you know sell to the government effectively, and how, how do you manage uh, contracts with the government, federal government, and then this project management curriculum. Then we adopted a business analysis curriculum. So all the management disciplines around technology. If you're a you know chief information officer, how do you manage projects, how do you work with your business partners to understand their requirements and, and then, you know, contracting with your vendors. Um, but I, I had a, there's a sister company there and someone who had left, uh, that sister company for Gartner, you know, thought of me a couple of years later after she'd gone. And, you know, I went through the round of interviews and I was fortunate enough to be selected as the, the top candidate for state of California government uh, accounts in Sacramento. And, it's just been a great uh, learning experience. It feels like a new MBA project every day. I, I, you know, turn on the computer and see these new challenges coming in from the client. It's just a lot of fun. Wow, that's awesome. Actually, it's interesting, uh, Scott. You are a super loyal guy. Uh, you know, jobs. You know, ten years, eight years, six, seven years. Um, where many of our contemporaries have resumes that are littered with jobs, uh, you you go to a place and and you settle in and learn the ropes and and really you know stay for a while. That's kind of uh, a unique quality. Would you consider yourself uh, one of those uh, loyal uh, loyal kind of people as you as you think about your career and your jobs? Yeah, I I think you know when I first decided to go into sales and I kind of went into it like the frog in the warm pot of water. I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. 
but you know, I wanted to make sure that I had integrity. Whatever I represent, I want it, you know, I really, really want to believe in it. And if I were going to sell something, I wanted it to be the best. And right. so I really had that belief on the different companies that I've been at that, you know, we provided the best value and, you know, available to the marketplace. If not, then I would have gone over to some competing product. But um, I've always been committed to, you know, de- delivering, you know, value for the money that our clients, you know, are spending with us. So that's, I'm, I'm loyal to the client, really. And as long as the company I'm with is uh, taking care of the client properly, I'll, I'll be around. So many of us, Scott, that are in sales like I am as well, you, there's sort of that, you mentioned it before, that sort of reputation of the used car salesman. But there is an absolute ability to sell with integrity. I, I feel comfortable with every deal I've, I've ever done. I, I don't look back and feel like, my gosh, that was a bad choice there. I took advantage of somebody there. there there's a way to do sales with integrity and with honesty and, and to feel good about the profession. Uh, it sounds like um, you feel the same way. Completely. I, I can't imagine not being in sales now. It, it, I mean, I, I really, my, my boss considers me essentially the CEO of Gartner's relationship with Kaiser Permanente. And it's, it's, it's a great feeling to, to have that type of a, the, the, your boss looks at you like that, your clients, your business partners, you know, internal to, to my company. It's, it's great to have, take leadership of an account and, you know, find ways to deliver value that without your involvement, you just wouldn't have happened. So I, that's, it's brings a lot of satisfaction to, to help the client be successful. Yeah. And when you put the client first, it turns out uh, secret to uh, anybody listening to this, uh, big secret in sales. When you put the client first and do what's right for them, um, funny enough, the money always follows. <laughs> I, I couldn't have said it any better. You you have to take care of your client, and when you're in, and you'll see if those of you that are in sales are going to sales that there's a lot of disputes internally uh, about you know maybe cutting corners here and there. I'm not trying to you know, cast dispersions than any of the companies I've ever been, but everyone has pressures that uh, may not always be in the best interest of the client. And so you're always there to stand up for your client and make sure that it's a win for everyone, the company that you represent and for the client. And occasionally a short-term loss. Personally, uh, I have found in every single case ends up being a long-term win and it comes back to me four or five, tenfold. So um, I think we've been on a similar path in some ways, Scott. I agree. We are kindred brothers. That is a fact. Uh, and since I have no idea who my biological parents are, maybe we could talk about that too. Um, so, hey, and that my father was adopted too, so maybe uh, <laughs> maybe we all come from the same family. Uh, that would be actually the one of the coolest things that ever happened to me. <laughs> So BYU, Scott, let's pivot there just a moment. How did you end up a uh, UC Davis boy, Northern Cal guy? Um, clearly, uh, you know, raised uh, with a background in the LDS faith, but was going to BYU something you kind of always thought about? How did you find yourself uh, at BYU for your MBA? Yeah, this is a fascinating uh, story. My parents did meet at BYU. So my father, you know, after he joined the church and graduated uh, with his undergrad, he went to BYU for his master's. And my mom happened to be there taking a some kind of a biology class. And they met at the Botany Pond at BYU, where he was a tutor or a, I don't know how you say it, some kind of a graduate student uh, teacher. And 
that's they met. So then my parents met at BYU. I've always been raised, you know, being a BYU fan. So it was is actually kind of disappointing that I didn't go to BYU as an undergrad. Um, actually, at the time, my father was not very happy with uh, the church in BYU. So I went at you know I, I just went where he was going to support me. So so yeah, that was. Uh, interesting, but I always had this little hole in my heart that I had never fulfilled my, you know, it doesn't make sense that I'm wearing all this BYU garb and right. I never went there. So people are going, well, you didn't even go there to school. What's, what's up with that? So I, you know, and I never figured I would, I guess I just kind of moved on, but I had a conversation with my management. Uh, it was soon after I had been passed over for a promotion that I thought it was certainly prepared for. And I sat down with my uh, two managers above me and then above that, you know, th- pretty, pretty high level folks. And they said, Hey, if you want to grow your career, you might consider getting an MBA. Hmm. And like this light bulb just went off in my head. Um, cause I'd always considered, you know, getting some more education in business, but you know, as a salesperson, you got a family, you're, you're making good money. You're probably making more money than most MBAs make that have, you know, been out there for a while. So Sales is one of these unique careers, um, but I, I had really stagnated. I think they had recognized that I had become complacent in my career. I wasn't learning and growing, and so I needed to make that investment. And it wasn't about the money. It was really about becoming a better person, about becoming a better professional, a better salesperson, a better leader of people. And so I, I, I knew immediately that I, you know, I wanted to, to go into a program I looked first in Northern California, you know, my backyard, but these programs were extremely expensive. Berkeley's was like 160 grand. Wow. Davis's was, you know, 80 to 90,000. Um, I think that's kind of the going rate for an EMBA. Uh, and then I said, Hey, well, I'll, I'll take a look at BYU, but I don't think there's any way I could pull that off unless I moved. And then I learned about this weekend program and it was like a revelation. It was meant for me. Yeah. What was uh? What were? Uh, tell us about the challenge of having to, um, you know, commute in every every other weekend. The flying in, uh, you know, a lot of us that are local, we just drove up. But uh, what was it like? Uh, was that an extra burden? Obviously, it was a little extra cost. Oh, certainly, certainly added cost. But you know, compared to the the price tag that we were paying, it I still came out way ahead on actual out of pocket. But and and it never felt like a chore to me to to travel. I I so much enjoyed. Uh, being in an environment like BYU where you can bring your entire soul into the classroom, you don't have to check your, you know, your spiritual or, you know, any kind of beliefs at the door. You can be free to think and involve your entire spirit and body and mind and soul in learning. And so that was just a totally new experience for me because I'd always been raised in, you know, public schools. So that was fascinating. And then, you know, the camaraderie, the, you know, I, I really came to the program to meet you and to meet my other colleagues uh, in that program. That's, I wanted that network. I wanted to be part of the BYU family. And so it never felt like a chore to, to get on a plane. It was a privilege to be able to be part of that program. Yeah, I've talked to other friends who got MBAs at other places 
Um, and they're saying, man, it was just such a grind and this and that. And I, I would smile every time they said that because I thought I can't wait to get to the weekend. I want to do my homework. So I'm prepared. I never felt like it was, a, I mean, it was a sacrifice to me and time and family for sure, but it didn't feel that way, at least in the moment, although it was hard. Um, oh yeah. I just wanted to be there. I wanted to be there with, uh, again, you and all the classmates. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but you know, you and Ian and, and, uh, Dr. Gilmore coming in from California. I just, it was amazing to those of us who didn't have to come in from out of town. So, well, again, it was, it was a, a, a complete privilege and I, yeah, I just loved the school. I, I just couldn't, couldn't be, uh, more, uh, you know, great, grateful for that experience. And I need to thank my wife too, because yeah. she, she never complained about me being gone. She, she knew how much I loved BYU and, you know, she went to BYU and her family are all BYU grads. So she was extremely supportive of, of me going and getting the degree. Yeah, I can tell how supportive she was in the conversations that we've had when we've had a chance to, you know, go out with you guys socially or other things. Uh, she was all in on you getting the MBA at BYU. So She was. Yeah. Just really grateful for that. That's fantastic. Uh, one of the questions that we usually ask and talk about a little bit is, do you remember a specific lesson or a specific comment or, or something from a teacher or, or one of your classmates that really kind of either resonated with you or you've thought about a lot or just maybe a moment uh, during the BYU experience uh, that maybe you reflect on uh, again and again, to, to use a phrase? I, I really don't have any specific um, aha moment. Um, I, th I think probably right as we started the program, uh, I remember you know one of the hardest classes we ever took in the program was the corporate financial reporting with the Dr. Stice. I don't know if that was a challenge for you. But it was Absolutely for me. a challenge for me. Yes. I, I mean, I remember taking the that first quiz and getting like a six out of ten and going. I'm not, I'm not going to pass or I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get this stuff. And I remember Dr. Stice, you know, announced that first class back. Well, I guess some of you realize you're not going to get straight A's in this program. <laughs> and of course he's the one that says it's not about the grades too. Right. It, it's, uh, it was, it was, it was opening that I, I could, I was having to struggle with something, you know, academically. Cause I've had pretty good, pretty good luck, uh, engineering aside, but, uh, pretty good luck with school. But it was it was certainly a challenge, and but I stuck with it, and eventually I, I got through it, and it did really well in the the midterm and the final. So I felt like I learned a ton, and that's I really feel that every class that I participated in, I could take material that I was learning, and take it and apply it back in my day job, you know, right away. So I I didn't feel like I really missed a beat in my career, even though you know I was taking out quite a bit of time, you know, every other week, you know, a Friday, basically a whole Friday, you know, out of the, the territory that I was selling into. You know, it's so interesting. Dr. Stice's class was super hard, but we started out with a really, really hard class. And I think that's by design. And, and maybe there's an, an analogy there that, I mean, getting started is always the hardest part of any project, but but, you know, they didn't ease us into the program, Scott. They, they basically threw us in the deep end of the pool. Uh, and, uh, and that was awesome. Yeah, in that first week too, where the, you know we had a lot of intense uh, that you know first week on on campus or whatever, it seemed like it was intense. I, I was I was feeling pretty overwhelmed by all the content we were being thrown, and yeah, so it was it, it was certainly a great experience though for uh, yeah, like you said, getting thrown in the deep end and having to navigate. 
Dr. Stice was right uh, in that second lecture when he said, I have seen how this ends. You will all be there at graduation. Um, you'll all finish. You'll look back on this and say that was hard, but we did it. And it was amazing, you know, besides a couple of, you know, little hiccups with a couple of classmates uh, to stand there with the 68 or 70 of you and and realize that 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 Jim knew exactly what he was talking about. Um, I mean, that was amazing, wasn't it? And, and we needed to hear that because, uh, boy, it was it was a struggle. I, I'm sure it, it was it might have even been probably a lot harder for some than than others that first part of the class um, and that program just, you know, did I, am I doing the right thing? And also Dr. Bingham's comment at our first day where he said, you know, you're here for a reason. And, and it really, you know, that really touched me as well. That yeah. You are in this program for a reason. And, and throughout the entire program, all the instructors, professors drilled into us that this isn't really about the material that we're teaching you, but it's, it's the Lord is preparing you for the rest of your life and, and the missions that you'll fulfill still here on this earth yeah, and in, you know, beyond. So, no, those were some, some important moments. Is there anything that you've taken that you use on a regular basis in your job? Now for you and I both as sales guys, that, that corporate financial accounting was amazing. And I feel more prepared when I'm in meetings with our CFO and others that I under, not only understand what they're talking about, but can actually be a contributor in those conversations before the MBA. I just was, was, you know, like a deer in the headlights, but, but is there any other things that you take and, and you, you use on a regular basis in, in your work now? You know, I, I think uh, what what I what I was lacking before was was confidence in you know I, I had I took a salesperson's view to the world completely, and I, it was very self centered you know very you know all about me winning business and taking care of the client, but I didn't understand enough about all the functional areas in an organization. So the the shift from thinking like a salesperson into Thinking like a CEO was the most valuable thing I picked up in the program. Uh, I I now have a there's nothing that anyone can start talking about that I won't be able to have an intelligent conversation about. Um, of course, my I'll be pretty broad and I won't be very deep on a lot of the subjects, but at, at least I can have an extremely intelligent business conversation, which has really really enabled me to to walk you know have come you know ha- have confidence even sitting in front of the CEO of an 80 billion dollar company. Yeah. Which which is I mean I haven't done that yet, but I am talking to his secretary, so. <laughs> but I that's a that's a really interesting point because Kaiser Permanente, uh one of the largest healthcare companies in the United States if not the world, um they are known for their high quality medicine. Uh, they're known for practicing what they call permanente medicine, which is their own flavor of taking care of people the right way. And here you are, uh, obviously qualified, but but uh, not feeling inferior in those conversations. Scott, that is huge. That's a huge uh, advantage um, that comes from your BYU MBA experience. And I absolutely attribute it to that, and and to the great uh, you know company that I'm with right now in Gartner. You know we have incredible uh, standards, and we're pushed to the brink to to learn and grow. And it's we're, the bar raises every every year for what we need to accomplish. And yeah, the, I I I don't know that I could be as I couldn't be relevant at Gartner in the role that I'm at now without this MBA. Wow. Um, it, it, and it, it pays uh, the, the salary bump that I received 
uh, you know, it's, it's certainly going to give me a return within, you know, a year or two. So it's, it's just a great, great investment. That's wonderful. Your, your, your professional and your personal things, uh, goals in your life and, and, and things kind of align. Uh, that's a beautiful feeling. Um, and, uh, and, and is wonderful. Uh, I'll shift gears just slightly. Uh, and I, this is a question I ask most of our guests. Um, most of us have had some adversity in our life, some far more than others. Uh, it's usually sometimes in some of those tough times that have shaped us the most. You don't have to get too personal, but, but can you think of, uh, of, of a time when, when something really difficult and not just, uh, Dr. Stice's class, of course, uh, <laughs> you know, that you think about and, and the lessons that, that, that came out of that and how you applied that to, to other areas in, in your life as things, uh, happened and came up. Well, yeah, there's, boy, I think all of this, uh, if you're following a, a path of discipleship, you're, you're choosing not, not the, uh, the easy path. It's, it's certainly a great path and a good path and a rewarding path, but it's, it's not the easiest way that, you know, I could have gone about things and I haven't always been a great Latter-day Saint. So I, it's, I'm not trying to, to, to portray anything like that, but I, I, I all throughout my life, I've, I've struggled with all sorts of things. I, I grew up uh, not not really having a lot of uh, you know f- physical financial resources. You know, my, my father uh, and family didn't have a lot, uh, so I, I learned to do with what I had. But I certainly had a great education, and I, I think I, I learned to prioritize what what you know and and integrity and things like that above material things. Um, and I'm, I'm still, I'm still trying to remember that because as, as you get older, your, your mortality becomes a little bit more real and you realize that all you take with you in this life is your, your knowledge, your relationships. Um, you know, the things that, you know, uh, are, you know, are eternal uh, so I, I've had lots of different experiences that have shaped me. Mission, the mission was incredibly challenging in Europe. But yeah, I, I could I could go on. I mean, I could go year by year and talk about challenges. Um, getting you know went through a divorce that was not a lot of fun. No, challenging for sure. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, the path of a disciple is not easy, and it is interesting that disciple and discipline come from the same root. Isn't and, it? Um, I was um, also a little bit of an undisciplined person uh, until I decided that I needed to truly try to be a disciple, which required discipline. So anyway, um, you have a lot that's great in your life, Scott, obviously. Uh, you have an absolutely lovely wife and you live in a cool part of the Thank world. You, you uh, work at a great company. Uh, but if I say, Scott, what are you most grateful for? Um, what comes to the top of mind? You know, just just my understanding and knowledge of the importance of family, and that my family has always been there through thick and thin. And you know, my family's been through a lot. You know, my parents that I you know I grew up with, and uh, my wife has gone through a lot recently with her losing her parents. You know, not too long ago, and uh, just my children. Incredibly grateful for my children. I'm totally jazzed that my two boys here of college age are. They're here at Sierra College, which is in uh, Rockland, California, close to where we live. And they're going to school. He just got back from his mission, my my older son. And they'll have a semester here before they probably 
go off to Utah State, uh, or my, hopefully my younger one goes on his, his mission. Yeah. But uh, just seeing seeing my kids uh, follow my path. My oldest daughter is getting her master's back at North Carolina Chapel Hill, and and just seeing seeing the the kids grow up and do good things. You know, becoming great human beings. And I, I feel like I, I learn as much from them as they I've ever taught them. Boy, that is so true. Um, as I'm sort of thinking about kind of, uh, you know, wrapping up here, and this has been a great conversation, Scott, and, and a lot of fun to catch up with you, who I, I consider not just a classmate, but but a true a true friend. Uh, if you're... Th- if someone's thinking about going to get a, a, a BYU MBA or a BYU executive MBA, what advice uh, would you give somebody who's thinking about potentially enrolling in the program? Every every program is different in the in the world, and I certainly I would recommend you decide. You know what are your goals? But for me, I remember posting early on in my MBA. Uh, you know, as I started the MBA, I had a a friend that went to BYU undergrad, but he went to Berkeley Haas School for his MBA, and I posted how proud I was of BYU and and uh, you know our school, and of course all he could th- you know say you know Cal is you know so much better or whatever. And for me, it was absolutely the right school, and I I think it doesn't lack in anything compared with you know the greatest programs in in the United States. The the quality of people that come there. Uh, the the professors uh, you know the reputation of the school for for good uh, it's it's it was a perfect match for me I so I just would counsel anyone to, to to take a good look at the you know the the assets that each of the programs bring but I I, I couldn't uh, I, I can't give a strong enough endorsement to uh, to the BYU program as a uh, as a Ute undergraduate a University of Utah undergraduate <laughs> I 100% agree with you. Uh, if a BYU MBA feels like something that you want to pursue, you should try to pursue it. You will never find, I don't think, on the planet, a school that combines the practical knowledge, the real world, world knowledge, and sort of that spiritual why do all of this and, and molds it together in a way um, that it's more than just an academic exercise. It gets down right into the, uh, to the marrow of your bones. It gets right down into your DNA. And I'm a BYU guy now, which is fun to admit. Uh, that is fantastic. <laughs> I I still remember that first day on <laughs> on campus where we had to divide into our schools. And yep. I was like the lonely person from Cal or from Davis. And then they had the youths and we had the Utah State Aggies. And right. wow, I think we all we all bleed blue uh, at this point. We do. We do now. That's for sure. Well, this has been a fun conversation, Scott. And uh, and, and I've really enjoyed spending a few minutes with you kind of catching up. Uh, I know your classmates are excited to hear uh, this podcast and, and kind of find out what you've been doing since then. Um, let's part with this. You know, all of us have uh, have big dreams and things we want to do moving forward. And some of us that are on the other side of 50, perhaps, um, start thinking about, you know, sort of what's the next phase in life. Uh, any thoughts about uh, what you want to do next or uh, or a big dream you have that uh, is out there on the horizon? Well, you know, there's a lot of good uh, being done right now in my current role with, with Gartner and with, you know, healthcare. You know, Kaiser's mission of affordable, accessible, high-quality care yep. for everyone and, you know, community health, you know, giving back to the communities that they uh, uh, 
practice in it is just a great mission. So I feel like I'm doing really good work uh, with Kaiser. Um, at some point, I, I really would love to be a chief executive officer for a, a software type company. I Ever since I started coding, even though I'm not a great coder, I would love to run a, a company that has, you know, a software as its product or some kind of a, you know, software as a service. Not sure what that'll be, but it'd be a great experience to uh, to lead, again, from a CEO's perspective, not just the salesperson's perspective. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun, and you'd have a great chance to to mentor and grow other people, and and uh, I think we'd uh, we'd all find that very rewarding. So that sounds like a fun dream. So we'll see. I'm I'm having too much fun right now to even uh, think about anything else. <laughs> I uh, I understand that completely. Well, Scott, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, you've been listening to uh, Grades Don't Matter. Thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we hope to uh, have you join us uh, soon for another one of our BYU MBA classmates. And uh, until then, thanks for listening to Grades Don't Matter.